And good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune. My name is Kevin Fortune, and you have tuned into The Liberty Show, a national platform where you, the citizen, can raise your voice of all things liberty. And tonight, we're going to discuss the year in review. This is the last month of the year. Boy, what a year it has been. And we're going to talk about some of the things, some of the um, outstanding episodes we've had, highlights, low points, uh, just some of the current events, things that um, have come up in people's minds. So tonight, uh, we have a special co-host, and that is Mr. Jared Morningstar, our producer, director, technical director, videographer, <laughs> sound man, choreographer. He does it all. So, Jared, welcome. You're the co-host of The Liberty Show. Take us to the year in review. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be here and glad to have had such a such an exciting and dynamic uh, first year here with the podcast. It's been wonderful uh, bringing everyone together, making some new connections and uh, being able to, to discuss such such important issues with such a diverse and intelligent uh, group of participants here. So I'm hopeful for for where we're going and uh, I'm excited to to get get down to business here tonight and uh, see uh, everyone's uh, memories and uh, make some new ones too. So to start out with, I would love to just uh, chat a little bit and hear hear what the Liberty Show means to you all and uh, why what, why are you keep coming back uh, to this uh, this interesting uh, podcast experiment we've we've put together. So anyone, uh, anyone have any thoughts they'd like to share on, on that question? All right, David, you are up first. Well, hello, everybody, and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Um, the Liberty Show, I had no idea where we'd end up. And to say that all of a sudden we're live on radio at times, that's amazing where we've come in a year's time. And it is, Jared, like you said, the amazing minds of this group and their viewpoints. It's not only us being able to have a voice, but it's we've got ears to hear. And it's great to know what other people have on their minds as to what's important. So I look forward to this show where we can chime in and talk about things that, that we found amazing in the past year. Um, I'm going to give one quote, and I um, want you to think who said this. Pig, pig, pig. That was none other than our friend Tim Smith. And, and with that, I'll pass the mic on to somebody else. Uh, wonderful, David. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, there's certainly been some some interesting moments and some memorable quotes uh, from these 17 shows we've we've produced so far. So yeah, uh, some of the clips we're going to play tonight, some of them are exciting, and I think we can all sort of rally around them. Others are contentious. So it'll be it'll be nice to have another opportunity to, to debrief uh, along some of these uh, ideas that have been uh, been bubbling up as we've been going along here. So uh, who's up next to, to, to share some thoughts? Kevin, you're the host, you gotta, so you have the stage. Well, one reason I like the Liberty Show, because um, I get to be the host, no. Um, actually, what I really love about this show um, is that we get so many different perspectives. It's not all one conservative or liberal, the left or right. It's not all one race or gender, it's so much diversity. 
And but the other thing is we go beneath the surface. We don't just scrape and just mention things. We really go and break it apart. And that's very important. A lot of times, if you look at the news media, you just hear them make a statement, but they don't even analyze it or they don't even, you know, break it apart to what real actually was said or really happened. But on this show, we really go sometime into depth. And for some people, that's a little uncomfortable because we're not used to that in our society. But I, I just want to bring that out that this is a uh, it's exciting that people can raise their voice. You know, when we listen at the TV, we hear what the 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 television people said or whoever paid for the commercials, what they want to bring out. But here people get to bring out their point of view. And I think that is so exciting. Definitely. So, yeah, there's there's such a such an opportunity for for more depth and, and more robust discussion when we actually have time to to talk with each other. And it's not just a, a 10 second sound bit and uh, our pundits sitting behind the, the news desk for their three minute segment on on some some issue that has way more complexity than can can really be uh, tackled in, in just a couple minutes. So, yeah, that's I certainly certainly resonate with that. Uh, as well. So next up, we have Alyssa. Welcome. Hey, hey, it's Alyssa Dare Nelson. Um, so good to be here. It's 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 great because we had a couple of guys who've sort of been here from the beginning, and I really just joined the crew. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, I I can I announce here like I'm going to be part of the crew for for now going forward, which is really great. So I appreciate being included as a voice in this incredible group of people, and you know even though I've only been a part of this for just a short period of time the reason I was so drawn to it was all of the varied voices and willingness to have an uncomfortable conversation. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I had a, a regular coaching segment on our NBC news um, here in the twin cities um, for a couple of years, uh, you know, the, the noon news kind of thing. Um, and so I totally understand the three minute segment, right? Where you have to kind of get in, get your point made, get out. Um, and, and I honor that type of conversation too, where it's really just a soundbite. Um, but, but we have to have the conversation beyond the conversation. Um, it's one thing to, to be told the news. It's another thing to discuss, what do we do with that? And um, I love this environment for being able to talk about what do we do with that and, and actually have uh, uncomfortable conversations with people who may or may not agree with our standpoint. And honestly, the more that, that we disagree, the, the better solutions and ideas we can come up with because we're coming from different lenses. We're coming from different angles. And I just, I love that and cherish that. And I'm honored to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, a healthy debate and discussion is is uh, essential to a functioning democracy. And uh, for whatever reason, just how our news media and culture have have developed in the past couple decades has really kind of uh, put a put a roadblock to a lot of that. So I'm I'm happy there's there's places like the Liberty Show that can exemplify a, a, a different way to really tackle some things together. So yeah, absolutely. All right, I can take uh, take one more uh, in input here, and then I think we're gonna move on to to some of our some of our clips to to share here. Hey, Jared, it's Charlie. How are Hi, you? Hi, Charlie. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Great, great, great. Hello, everyone on the Liberty Show, Kevin. I just wanted to say, I guess I've sort of fell in the mix indirectly, being that Kevin 
worked with a coworker of my nephew. So, you know, my nephew came home and he was talking about it one day and I, I just somewhat joined. And at first I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, listen to what has to be said. And with all of the diversity and the conversations that we've had and the discussions, I just somewhat fell in love with the show itself. So from that point on, I think I started maybe with the second podcast because I was not on the first one and you know and I've been hooked and enjoy every time that we have conversations you know you learn something new every time um, discussions are said or made you know just being able to hash everything out looking at things from different perspectives so just want to say that I'm, I'm you know happy to be a part of the show and can't wait for us to continue on you know from 2021 and on and beyond so thank you. Yeah, thank you. We are we are very happy and grateful to have you as well. So feeling is mutual, certainly. All right. So I think we can go ahead and jump into some of our clips here. Uh, so we got it. We got a good amount, uh, and uh, I'll leave some time to to discuss uh, what what these highlights uh, present uh, after each one. So feel free while the, the clip is playing to use that raise hand feature or or type in the chat that you'd like to, to comment on this. So uh, mm -hmm. we can uh, have a little bit of classic Liberty Show debate and discussion uh, between each of these. So this first clip we have, uh, this is one that Kevin wished to include. And uh, it's certainly one that, that touches on the, the core theme of, of our our podcast and radio show here, and that is Liberty. So this is from our episode with, with Maj Ture right at the beginning when Maj talks about what Liberty means to him. So here comes the clip with Maj. So first, uh, let's find out a little bit about who Maj Ture is. You mentioned, I saw you on another podcast, you're a man of liberty and freedom. Explain to me, what do you mean by for liberty and freedom? Well, it means that I, I want everyone to have the means to do whatever they choose to do. As long as you're not violating somebody else's body or their personal property, um, I want everybody to be able to do that. I want you to be able to, I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to, you know, think about it as much. It's yours. It's your freedom. And you have, you know, you have the, you are at within the, your liberty to exercise your freedoms the way that you choose to. Um, and I think that if more people view the world under those terms, we'd have a lot less, you know, infringement and, um, a lot more, a lot less mental enslavement. So that's, that's my view of freedom. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to do what you do. You know, I have, just have to respect what you do in your space. And I think we, again, we got to get back to that, to that uh, lane of living for most people. So we're not infringing and we're not being infringed upon. I totally agree, man. That's why you're my hero. You sound like me. <laughs> you sound like my twin. You know, and one thing our motto here, my motto is to put liberty into action. And I agree with you, you know, we do a lot of talking about freedom and liberty and civil rights, but when it's time to actually implement it, we want to, oh no, but you can't do this, you can't say that. And that's one reason I like you, that you're putting your liberty into action. All right, that was Maj, and we got a little bit of Kevin there as well. Anyone have uh, any, any comments to share about that? Uh, anyone want to riff on the idea of putting liberty into action, our, our sort of uh, cornerstone idea here? All right. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll move on to our, our next contribution here. This is one that uh, I myself pulled uh, from our episode a while back on, on police brutality. Uh, and this is a contribution made by Mr. Adam House, who's been uh, on our show a number of times now and a great supporter, a great, great friend of the 
podcast, and I thought his uh, discussion of this uh, this issue was really insightful and uh, well articulated. So here comes Adam. And so I think what we have right now is we have a police state that has been uh, amped up on the war on drugs and then given another shot of adrenaline by the war on terror. And now it's just this horribly top-heavy, violent, brutal police state uh, where we have even prosecutors, you know, that are um, forcing people into these crazy plea deals, uh, filling up our prisons. So now we have mass incarceration. And, um, and then the intersection that I mentioned comes from the other side of this where there is systemic racism in American politics and in American government since the very beginning. And it's played out in different ways through time. For anybody that's, that wants the, uh, kind of a primer on understanding this, you can watch this movie uh, on Netflix called 13. It'll kind of give you a, a, a little bit of the history of how do we, we got to where we are right now. So now let's bring all that where, where, where the, uh, the systemic racism and the brutal, violent police state intersect. And now we see a situation where, I mean, it's been obvious to many of us that's been paying attention for years now that it's almost like it's open game on young black men for any police officers that want to engage in just lynching them in the streets. And what happens is you have qualified immunity that allows the police to get away with it. And it's not just the qualified immunity, but they also have the unions that stand behind them. And, and because they work, you know, obviously within local government, they usually know the judges, they know the, the lawyers in town, they know the DA's office, they know the defense, you know, uh, teams in town. They know all these people already, and they're probably in a, you know, buddies and buddies with, with whoever. And so it's like a good old boys club. And the, the thin blue line is a really, uh, it's a really big gang and they've got a lot of special protections. And what it boils down to for me, you know, is I don't think the protests that we see in the wake of the George Floyd thing, uh, of his killing, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't discredit these, uh, protests in any way, shape or form. In fact, I think they're long overdue. You know, actually, back when Eric Garner was killed, I expected this. You know, I, I think that the patient long-suffering of the poor and minorities, and especially the black community in the United States, uh, has been, you know, it, I mean, that's it. It's been patient and long-suffering. And, you know, I think, you know, the American people in general, uh, we've had every right to rebel for a long time now. All right. That was Adam House from our uh, wonderful podcast on, on police brutality. And I see, Tim, uh, you got uh, got uh, a comment here. Actually, Louis had one before me, so I'll go right after Louis. Yeah, sorry. I was a bit slow on the draw about uh, raising my hand earlier. Well, I guess just very quickly, uh, Adam made some very salient points there. Uh, also, that documentary you mentioned, 13th, is uh, quite good and quite revealing, so I would recommend that as well. And I recall from that uh, same episode, I think it was the same episode, it went on a spiel later after he spoke about kind of the history of policing in this country and 
basically, just to echo what Adam was saying, this is what the police have always been like. Like, this is what they were founded in the 1800s to do, specifically to terrorize, you know, poor Black workers, basically, and poor white workers as well. But, you know, like many things, Black people get it uh, a lot harder when it comes to these sorts of problems. Yeah, that was, a, that was a very enjoyable episode, I remember. It was a fun, uh, not a fun conversation, but it was an interesting and engaging kind of ongoing one we had. Yeah, certainly so. That was that was one where I, I learned a lot and was really enriched by a lot of the contributions uh, people had. So mm -hmm. thank you, Louis. All right, Mr. Smith, uh, you are up. Well, uh, shout out to our hosts. Uh, actually, we have two. So both of our hosts... Uh, shout out to you guys, shout out to the panel. Um, great big shout out to Adam, who is a personal friend. Uh, it was great listening to him again. I got so caught up in what he was saying that I, I, I started applauding, even though it was recorded in, uh, uh, months ago. But that's just how, um, you know, Adam, when he speaks, it, it, it does something for me. Um, and a great big shout out to Maj, uh, a great fighter for liberty. I just want to uh, um, thank uh, everyone uh, and especially um, the Adam Houses. Oftentimes in the Liberty Movement, if you don't have a big name, you're not recognized. So I just, you know, Adam has a name. He may not be like a Maj Ture or Larry Sharp at this current point in time, but he's uh, an excellent orator of, of relaying and conveying the message of Liberty. And, and that's all I had to say. It was a great big shout out to my friend. I, I was overjoyed listening to him. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I, I picked that one out. Uh, it, was, it was well worth uh, reviewing, certainly. He is very articulate. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, my goodness, I did not have a chance to be a part of that episode. Um, but yeah, when we start talking about, you know, qualified immunity um, and the protections that the good old boys club provides when other people not only don't have those protections, but are out, but are, are victimized by the people who are in power. And I love how he brought it off the front lines of the police themselves, the policemen, uh, and women, but also looked at the prosecutors and in who knows who in, in the other realms, um, which points to the system. And one of the biggest things that the thin blue line folks like to talk about is, well, you know, there's one or two racist cops. Fine, fine. We, we, we admit to that. We'll get rid of them when we find them. <laughs> and that the fact of the matter is that the system is the problem. You know, I could go on a whole rant about how defund the police is a really poor, poorly marketed <laughs> platform that we, we, we should, we should have named it something different collectively, like rebuild the police. Right. But to the point is that, that we've got to dismantle the system and rebuild the system so that it's working for for folks and you know things like qualified immunity immunity and the fact that the police are militarized police are supposed to be peace officers <laughs> that's that's what they're called right that's actually what they're supposed to be termed and yet they're they're militarized so there's a, there's a disconnect there and of course we can go back a couple of centuries to see where where that was all rooted from, but um, you know I, I love the the honest conversation and and this is deep and it's and it's hurtful and it's hard and there's a lot of people that have been traumatized and and so this that conversation 
is going to keep going on forever and ever, but I'm glad that we're having those conversations. And yes, I will, I will third the, the recommendation on watching the 13th because it is an excellent, excellent documentary. Thank you for that, Alyssa. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You always hear uh, these these thin blue line, uh, very uh, pro cop kind of supporters talk about, oh, it's only a few bad apples. But if you have a uh, a system where the apple barrel stays uh, shut, a few bad apples rot, rots the the whole barrel there. Um, so we definitely need a change uh, to be able to get those those bad actors out and radically uh, change the, the role and capacity of, of policing uh, to, to make our, our communities better and protect uh, the liberties that uh, American citizens have a uh, God-given right to uh, uh, enjoy. So, just want, I just wanted to add very quickly, you always hear that phrase, a few bad apples, when you hear like police apologists and bootlickers try to make excuses for the horrible things police do. And they neglect to mention that the full phrase is a few bad apples spoil the bunch. So it's like, actually, yeah, a few bad apples means that everybody else you know, in that same bunch is complicit. They're part of this too. And sometimes it's the apple tree that is dropping bad apples. That and too. I, that's, that's really the bigger issue at, at hand. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, do you have a, a comment as well? I don't want to rehash that whole um, sh show. But um, it, it was an excellent show. And one of the points that we brought up was that it's easy for us to pick on the police. And everyone knows that I am no fan of the popo. And I take every opportunity to address them as what they are. But even so, we have to acknowledge that it's not their fault. It's the system. So when the pigs go out there and they occupy, and that's what the police do, they do not patrol black neighborhoods. They are an occupying force in black neighborhoods. But that's an, uh, we've already had that show. But regardless, it's, it's not about a few bad apples. It's not the apples at all. The apples are, are doing what apples do. It's the system that allows us to grow apples. And when we get rid of the system that allows us to grow apples, then we'll have a totally different thing to talk about. And, and that's the, the conversation that we had, was that we need to get out of the business of growing apples. Perhaps we should grow peaches because that will bring us to a place um, where there is actual equality. Um, I live in the Atlanta metro. I live downtown Atlanta. And I can tell you that um, if you go to Buckhead, the police act a totally different way and in a different manner than if you're in South Atlanta. Um, when I'm in Buckhead, I, I, I feel um, I'm less likely that I'm going to get shot um, by the popo. But when I'm in South Atlanta, it's a totally different story. So why is that? It's not that it's a bad apple that's policing South Atlanta. It's the fact that the system allows the police to act a different way in, Buck in South Atlanta than it does in Buckhead. So yes, as Adam eloquently brought out, we have to look at the whole system. And, and the thing about it, um, we can't talk about dismantling the system because to dismantle the system means that it can be put back the way that it originally um, were. What we have to talk about is a whole different way of policing, a whole different way of, of prosecuting. And, and, and there's a, a, a friend of the show who said that if there's no victim, there is no crime. And that's what we have to, when we, when we go out to our, our, our city council meetings, when we go to our state houses, our state assemblies, and, and when we um, go into the voters booth and we're um, choosing um, the lesser of two evils between the Democrats and Republicans, one thing that we have to ask ourselves is, 
is this individual in the in the habit of getting behind of, of rallying behind laws and legislation that that creates a victim when there is no victim yeah thank you for that tim yeah and and you provided an excellent segue into our our next clip here when you were mentioning how disparate the experience of policing uh, or the experience of authority or powers can be uh so this clip uh, i believe is from our our, our Joy, george floyd episode and uh kevin requested this one this is a uh, my own contribution actually i'd i'd written a, a short piece uh talking about some of the protesting that had had gone on in the past couple months, comparing how uh, sort of the state powers were responding to something like the, the protest in, in Michigan against uh, some of the coronavirus restrictions versus how these same powers were responding then to the Black Lives Matter protests in, in response to uh, the killing of, of George Floyd. So here's me. Violent protest marked the beginning of America, and the sense of liberty against injustice still runs through our veins today. Yet liberty for whom? The sensibilities of both the privileged public and those who wield political authority will shift at a moment's notice from a deep acknowledgement of the rights of the citizenry to protest with vehemence to a rhetoric of law and order, stating firmly that the protesters must maintain peacefulness and pursue only legal means while simultaneously utilizing state power via the police to escalate conflict even at times when protesting remains squarely in the bounds of what is permitted by constitutional rights. These rhetorical sleight of hands, always disconnected from the specific histories leading to deep grievances fueling vicious protest, are very palatable to the average privileged American. For them, human rights are already so obviously guaranteed that situations where it seems that these rights are being denied to other citizens, it is automatically rationalized as their fault. And unless they've actively had relationships and opportunities for education on the experiences of others in this country, are they really wrong in their reasoning? If you can storm a Capitol building with heavy artillery and not face any escalation of violence, what must you conclude about a protest which does lead to escalating violence? Here, the state and its various concrete manifestations are imagined as genuinely neutral. Its actions are fully governed by the letter of the law. And likewise, the options for citizen power against state overreach are delineated. If you don't break the rules, nothing bad could happen. This is, of course, not an accurate paradigm for understanding the very off-the-cuff responses of the state to those protesters whose political goals are judged for whatever reason as threatening to the mythos by which the American nation defines itself and asserts its sovereignty and goodness. Where in the Constitution does it say that officers of law are above rule of law? Where in the Constitution does it say that tear gas and rubber bullets may be employed against lawful assemblies? These are not decisions stemming from a concrete legal basis, but ones which are essentially of an improvisational nature to be justified on legal bases after the fact. We must develop eyes to see such situations clearly and realize the deep precarity of such state power asserted over the citizenry. That is why I cannot condemn any of the rioting tactics on a collective level back in my home state. The contract with the state is that they guarantee such things as natural rights and justice, and in return, the populace will subscribe only to those legal means provided by the state for redressing conflict. Yet in the murder of George Floyd, 
we see both the state gruesomely seize the most basic right, that to life itself, from a citizen on an entirely non-judicial, arbitrary basis. And simultaneously, justice against this infraction is showing little signs of actually materializing. And this is not an isolated incident, but truly a continuation of precedent, both in the Twin Cities in particular and in America generally, has such justice been ignored by the legal means provided by the state. So in such a case, the citizenry has every right to assert their lawmaking power by making transparent that the contract of law and order truly is a two-way agreement. And if the state is going to desecrate this agreement, then the people will retaliate until a new, legitimately functional legal means can be instituted for upholding justice in these cases where the state has previously acted as a barrier to this transcendent value when it has worked to their benefit. Extrajudicial state-sponsored violence has no place in a country which flies the banner land of the free. These are our neighbors, our loved ones, being callously murdered in broad daylight. There never has been an excuse for such things. Now, the people are saying they will accept no reasons and will not rest until the, there is legitimate redress to these grievances. Feel their anger. It is more righteous and holy than the decaying mythology of America as a bastion of freedom. This anger has the potential to purify and renew this promise to freedom if only we allow ourselves the ears to truly hear. All right, that was me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kevin, why, why did you choose that, that clip as, uh, as one of our highlights? I'm curious to know. I was just trying to butter you up. And... Ah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just getting ready to comment because <clears throat> I think everyone has touched upon it, uh, Alyssa and Tim, especially uh, Jared, that the state cultivates this tree of bad apples. You know, you have to water plants to get them to grow. You have to weed out sometimes the weeds and they don't want to weed out the weeds. They want to water sometimes negative circumstances. And, um, you know, you just brought us uh, together so eloquently that, you know, sometimes our state, the system, um, the powers that be, the government, let's be very specific here, uh, they water you know, to grow these trees with bad apples. They cultivate that environment and that that's not cool. And you brought a great, you know, a, a great point out that, you know, if you're going to have this this uh, law and order, it, it needs to be, um, you know, it can't just be one-sided. So I, I thought that was just really, really profound. And hopefully we can begin to, to, uh, to live it and see things change in our nation. Yeah, hopefully so. All right, I see uh, our friend David down in down in Florida has a has a response for me. I'm all ears, David. It wasn't necessarily a response, but you talk so well, but you write even better. You put a tremendous amount of thought into what you wrote. Have you written on the subject before? Uh, not directly. I think that was really the sort of event that that really inspired me to to put some some pen to paper uh, on on this uh, this idea of how how state power can can respond differently in, in different circumstances and kind of what are the uh, ways it functions there. But certainly, I'd I'd written some kind of tangentially related things about government power about. Uh, uh, sort of uh, oppressive forces. Uh, so it wasn't uh, wasn't entirely uh, out of out of left field for me. Since we have six to eight usual faces, everybody brings something different to the table, and 
the, the presence that they have when they're on the air. Taj Dere, the way he commands himself, I wish I had that presence over a microphone. Mm-hmm. And he was quick to respond. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he wasn't going to be bullied by anybody when he had the podium. And Tim, I love Tim, the way he can take both sides of an argument. He reminds me of somebody that I grew up with and then went to college with him. And one week he'd be arguing for communism, and the next week he'd be arguing (laughs) the democracy republic. And people that understand the issues and have that tremendous mind, they have a way of carrying themselves. Alicia, her presence on a microphone is amazing. What I can't help but laugh about is when a young lady, I don't know if it was Jackie, when she responded to Tim, what do you want? What do you want, Tim? (laughs) But thank you all for sharing your um, strong points and helping me to learn at the same time. Great. Uh, No, I I wanted to also, I hate to expose you, but Jared is kind of like partially Caucasian. I know everybody thinks he's black, but he's a white. But no, I always call him my favorite white boy. But I, I really think that's important that to know that, you know, Jared as a white male in today's society made that statement. Because people think the Black Lives Matter is all black people, it's all people of color, it's all liberals, it's all people to the left. But there are some white people who understand this dilemma and see the truth and see our nation for what it really is. And I just wanted to bring that out because that's what's going to bring about change. Uh, It's going to take, honestly, some white people to stand up for some of the, the, the problems that they, not specifically, but, you know, collectively have created. And um, they're going to have to address some of that. So I, I compliment you, Jared. And, and I don't know if you're black or white today. I get confused. But no, but I think that that's a really good point that, to bring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kevin, thank you. To piggyback on on that a little bit, um, I, I it's not my quote, so I, I can't claim it. But um, racism is not a black issue for white folks to empathize with. It is a, an issue that white folks created and need to actively solve. Um, and, and I think, you know, as we've seen more and more uh, white folks, for lack of a better term, w- start to wake up, which waking up should be and is a lifelong process. You know, you don't have one woke moment and then, <laughs> and then suddenly you're, you're cured of the, of the white sea uh, that, you, that you've been swimming in all, your, all of your life. But if, if we're willing to, d- to just have these conversations and go, huh, how might this affect? And, and when it comes to the riots and and you can hear if you really truly listen you can hear both sides of the of the quote argument right that the challenges that that our society has gotten stuck in this in this binary us versus them conversation when you know i can very much empathize with a business owner who had their business burned down in a riot like that's horrible right and and it's it's not just you know the 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 insurance that's going to cover the building that will be rebuilt. It's, it's so much heart and soul that goes into those, you know, oftentimes mom and pop shops. I can definitely empathize with that. And I can empathize with the anger and frustration that boiled over that may have caused that. 
And also we need to look at who actually caused the fire and where did that spike spark start? And, you know, so, so if we stop with the, with the conversation being, it was wrong, the riots were wrong or the riots were justified, we're missing the entire point. And so um, anyway, I know that's part of a, a, of a different bigger conversation, but I, I just wanted to call to, to honor Jared. Yes. As a white male for um, speaking up and, and really looking at the conversation um, as you know, from, from your perspective to really listen, but also that this is not a black issue for black folks to solve this. <laughs> this is a white issue that the white community, whether it was your ancestors or whether your ancestors came over, you know, on a, a immigrated 30 years ago, this is still a system that we need to fix. Thank you, Alyssa. Yeah, that's, that's a, such a, such a pertinent point. And that's, that's uh, hopefully what, uh, what we can do through some of these conversations on the Liberty Show. I hope that uh, since we do have this wide variety of voices, when we're all able to, to talk together, it, it's maybe a bit more approachable for people than something that very clearly is, is woke and like strongly trying to educate in a, a certain way that can be intimidating for people. So, I mean, it'd be great if, if people just could just push through that uh, intimidation, uh, but that, that's often uh, very difficult. So hopefully we can uh, make uh, some easier avenues for, for people who might not uh, not have the uh, uh, courage to get there otherwise. So, I have a question. Yes, um, sir. And please forgive me of my ignorance, but can someone please define what um, being woke is? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give it a stab here. Um, I feel like it's a means this sort of very progressive understanding of uh, systematic inequality. It's kind of become this almost uh, like pejorative term at this point where like uh, people are like, oh, you're so woke uh, when when someone is like trying to show how much they know about uh, how bad black people have had it in America or something like that. Uh, so it's, I think it's it's complicated in, in how it's uh, used nowadays, but that's basically how how I've come to understand it. Dr. Dana, I see uh, you got your hand up. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'd like to say a few words about that. The, uh, I'm in contact with the academic community. Uh, and what I'm concerned about is wokeness and I guess the right term is applied postmodernism that's in academia and is seeping into corporations and into government. They don't really care about racism. They don't really care about transphobia. Uh, they're out for power and they will use those issues and and people uh, as uh, tokens uh, to try to get to that power. I mean, we've seen it in the past that uh, this, uh, I've never seen such a militant, uh, uh, I, I would call it a witch's brew of, of applied postmodernism. It's a combination of neo-Marxism, Leninism, postmodernism and radical feminist collectivism. And uh, we really need to be aware that they're, what they're really after is to establish themselves in a power position. And we've seen historically when people like that get into power position, the first thing they do is crack down on people's liberties. And the first people they crack down on are the minorities and the, uh, you know, the people that they want to 
get rid of from their society point of view. So uh, I'm, I'm concerned about that going into the future that I see this, this problem coming on. I've been trying to warn trans people uh, not to fall victim to becoming poster children for this movement. But it's, I, see it, I see it creeping more and more uh, into lots of institutions. And I, I hesitate to, you know, raise the red flag of, you know, anti-communism because that's, you know, it can be, be seen as being hysterical unnecessarily. But that's what these people believe in. And uh, I see them trying to entrench themselves into a lot of institutions. So when we try to fashion remedies for racism and transphobia and and other ills in our societies, we need to make sure that uh, they don't uh, misuse uh, that energy to sconce themselves in power. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating uh, uh, dynamic that's uh, going on with all these these issues. That could certainly be a, a podcast in itself. Uh, what are the what are the right uh, ideological allies for for uh, promoting liberty, especially for marginalized people, as as they say. Well, we have to be very careful to be for things, and the things right. that to be for main, should maintain our liberties and our uh, and our uh, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the energy from academia is against things, not for mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. that will improve right. the situation. Right. Yeah. The the postmodernist uh, ideal of deconstruction. Uh, that's what they uh, have certainly. So makes uh makes sense uh in that that context where's where's the construction right and if they if they did construct something we probably wouldn't like it yeah <laughs> yeah perhaps not perhaps not especially if it's uh the the one uh, orthodox sort of woke construction that, that everyone needs to to subscribe to to, right. to uh and, and i included. should say these people <laughs> these people are ruthless in suppressing freedom of speech and, and uh, I talked about tokenism before, and uh, the, their other mantra is uh, equity as opposed to equality. Mm -hmm. uh, that they, you know, they don't want people to have equality, they want them to have equity, uh, meaning that everybody gets to pay the same no matter what they contribute. And as I recall uh, from my history, that there's something about Marxism in there uh, that, uh, uh, that rings uh, true. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to put this down for a, for a future show for sure. Uh, I see, uh, Alyssa, do you have a do you have a, something to weigh in with on here? Yeah, just a, just a follow up comment because I was the I was the one who brought brought up the term woke. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so just to kind of circle back around, I and Dana, thank you so much for uh, for sharing all of that, and I I wholeheartedly agree that that wokeism is so often weaponized and any anything that's good can be weaponized. And I think that's something that's really important for people with, uh, I'm putting air quotes here, good intentions to understand that, you know, a, a knife is, is really good for cutting up a bell pepper, but it can also kill somebody. So it, mm -hmm. it can be a tool and it's good, or it can be used to destruct and, and destroy. Um, and so I, I think that uh, one of the tendencies that, that I see, and sometimes I even catch myself there because I love solving problems, right? Is, is people who wake up, who realize, oh my gosh, I'm seeing something that I've never seen before. Um, and now I have all the answers. So I'm just going to go in and solve this when they're not inviting 
uh, people to the table um, who, who this problem is affecting. And so I, I, I did want to clarify that while I believe that this is that, that systemic racism, for instance, is a is a an issue that white folks need to step up and solve. Um, I, I certainly didn't mean alone. Um, that we have to do that in in concert, but we have to take personal responsibility um, for for it. Um, we, I, but again, this is a, a, a far a deeper topic. But uh, to tokenism, to saviorism, to centering all of those those issues, uh, they they spark up as soon as you as soon as people think that they're quote woke. Um, and now, well, with this new enlightenment, they can go in and, and solve the problem because now they understand it. And, and it's just not quite that simple. Yeah. The, the line between, uh, white allyship, uh, and white saviorism can be thin and, and difficult to, to navigate. Yeah. Thanks everyone for, for bringing up, uh, such important points, uh, but uh, I think we'll uh, head on to our, our next uh, highlight clip here uh, so we don't run out of time. So we got a, a couple good ones from just last show. Uh, everyone had some, some really insightful comments here. So we're going to go to Mr. Louie with his comment here. What's the more plausible explanation here? Did Trump lose through no fault of his own because there was this vast nebulous conspiracy working to undermine him? Or is it that Trump was never a popular or well-liked candidate to begin with? Because there's that 30 to 40% of the population of like hardcore MAGA people who will, you know, ride and die with him no matter what. But outside of that, I mean, his approval rating has always been pretty bad, like below 50. He didn't win the popular vote the first time, even though Hillary was very maligned. Polls generally indicate that the Republicans' neoconservative policies are just not popular with, you know, the general populace. And like even in districts that went red in 2016, they were, they were often won on, you know, no pun intended, very razor thin margins as a result of gerrymandering. Because again, the Republican candidates generally have a hard time winning in fair fights. Is it that hard to believe that he lost the popular vote again, especially after his hideous quasi-genocidal bungling of the COVID response. I mean, I would think that over 200,000 people dying on your watch because of your bad decisions would put a dent in your popularity. Wouldn't you think? All right. That was Louie. Any, any comments? Uh, any follow-up for that one? Well, I have to speak up. Jared? Yes, sir. May I speak, sir, host? Yes, I, I absolutely. Just, <laughs> I'm laughing because Louie is so hilarious. But, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, I've been here since day one, but it's so funny, guys. Louis came on the show about, I don't know, February, March, but he would not say anything for the first, like, four episodes. And finally, now when he does talk, I'm like, wow, is that the same Louis? But, but you know, he really sounded like he meant what he said. <laughs> and uh, I, I just was laughing, not at him, but with him, because, you know, it's really funny. After you've had 200,000 deaths, what do you think you're going to be popular? Like, you know, come on, get real. But mm -hmm. some of our politicians are not real. Yeah, but we got to revise that number to 300,000 now, unfortunately. Oh, as well. Don't remind us. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess uh, sometimes I'm kind of reluctant to speak up when I'm participating in like group discussions because just sort of like socially anxious generally. But, you know, once I get started on something, 
as Jared can attest to from when we were in school, I can be very fiery about certain things. Oh, we're, we're, we're glad to have your fire here and uh, glad you've become more, more open and comfortable uh, getting your voice heard uh, on the Liberty Show. I just like having the opportunity to, uh, this word, rant at people about the many thoughts in my head, I guess. And also mm -hmm. it's nice to like communicate with other human beings after like the last several months of despair and isolation and like, it's going to be like, we're almost to 300,000 deaths, right? Like, I think the the speculated death toll for the Civil War is 400,000. So we're, uh, we're almost there in replacing that as like the, the greatest travesty in American history with something, something uh, new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainly, certainly a very, very tragic year we've had. Yet yeah, we're here on the Liberty Show, and uh, we can come together as as community here. Uh, so, hopefully, uh, there's some uh, some sparks of light uh, in our life still, even amidst uh, some some horrendous historical happenings. So, I'm trying not to be a downer or anything, or to damp on the mood. Yeah, sometimes uh, speaking truth can be kind of depressing, though. So. All right, so we're going to go on to uh, a highlight that uh, Miss Charlie suggested, also from our last podcast. And this was Damon's contribution uh, in a in a similar vein. So if you if you have comments that are still forming, you'll probably uh, figure out how to respond when I play this one. So here is Damon. Trump is is he's many things, but I think a great president is not accurate because what he is, he's a master of chaos. And I think what he's done for the past four years has just, you know, run the most dysfunctional presidency that we've ever known. And we can say that the media has, has it out for him. OK, fine. I, I'll take that because the media does have a liberal bias. But at the same time, we've got to understand that Republicans always like to you know, say that personal responsibility. Well, what level of responsibility does Trump have? Because let's say I'm in the media and if you call me a. Uh, enemy of the people, and you've never at any point in time tried to give me a fair shake, then no, I'm not going to give you a fair shake. So it's a, it's a, it's a yin or yang type situation. And furthermore, when we talk about the coronavirus, to Louis's point, when, when you make wearing a mask a wedge issue, and, and basically you've got people that you may not agree with mask wearing, okay, fine, whatever, but to the point where if you're out in public, and let's say somebody who's a Trump supporter doesn't wear a mask, Let's say they have the coronavirus. Well, they can be a super spreader now, right? And so then you've got people that want to say, well, I want to go out to restaurants. I want to go out and eat. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to live life as normal. Well, we can do that if we get the coronavirus under control. And if wearing a mask can help to you know, alleviate the spread or at least slow it down, then what's the problem with that, right? I, I personally, as a libertarian, okay, do I believe it should be mandated and forced? No. But from a, from a high level, if we have proper leadership, say, look, y'all, I understand, you know, it's inconvenient. I know we don't like to do it, but this for the sake of getting us back on board, back to you know, attending sport, sporting events and, and concerts, wear a mask and let's get under control. That way we can get back to everyday life. But with Trump being his his belligerent, you know, you know, POS self, he says, hey, we're not wearing a mask. And even when he got the coronavirus himself. He, you know, for the cameras, he gets in front of the cameras and immediately rips it off, making it seem like, oh, look at me. I'm big, strong, tough guy. But I'm like, dude, you have an opportunity as the president 
And because he's a reality show star, that's what he's been for four years is a reality show president. Everything he does in front of the cameras is for a specific purpose for his people, for his cult. Because anything he says to them, they take it with a grain of salt and they, I mean, they, they, they run with it, right? So if he says don't wear a mask, they don't wear a mask. And they think, well, it's an infringement on my rights and all this other stuff. But what about the infringement on the people who are trying to live? What about the older people who may have autoimmune diseases where you may be a super spreader? You don't know it because Mr. Tough Guy Twitter fingers over here told you not to wear a mask. Right. So this idea that he's the greatest president, I just I, I refute that. I can't take it. No. All right. That was Damon. That was Damon. I see he's making us all, all smile here. Yeah. What an articulate guy. So it was it was Miss Charlie who uh, who picked that clip out. What what was uh, what was your uh, sense, uh, Miss Charlie, about why why that was such a highlight for you? I don't know. I just think Damon generally is always on point. He has a tendency to always say the things that I totally agree with. But I will say, going back to Louis, I was laughing a little bit when Louis was like, he lost the popular vote the first time. What made him think, or what made him think that he didn't win it this? you know, this go around as well. And I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't get it. You know what I mean? The president himself, if, you know, having a conversation with him, I'm sure he would think, oh, yes, I did win it. You know what I mean? Because he, mm -hmm. he lives in such a altered state of mind. I just think, you know, all the time, Damon, for the most part, is is always on point with me. We have to have a tendency, where I think, to see things his way. I sometimes see things Tim way. I think we just go at it come at it from a different direction. We want the same endpoint, but we're just going at it. Our routes are totally different, but that's why I pretty much just chose, you know, a, a podcast of a conversation that Damon had because I, you know, I totally agree with what he's generally saying 98% of the time. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly a sharp, sharp mind we have in our midst. Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. I see so you, you have a response as well, Louis. Uh, yeah, I guess just firstly, uh, echo everything Charlie said. All this talk about the stop the steal and election fraud and whatnot, it just seems so preposterous that like we're still like keeping the charade going a month later, even though it like cannot be more obvious in every way that Trump and his idiot cronies brought the all of this on themselves. I mean it's like really from the very beginning, if Trump had just like listened to his advisors and you know followed their advice and generally just tried to at least act like he was you know doing something to fight the pandemic rather than just like shitting a hole straight through the bed with every decision he made, like he could have easily uh, won his re-election bid despite you know some of the issues I mentioned with him being unpopular. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, all the fraud stuff is just ridiculous. And I can't believe it. this is like, we're still hearing about it. Interesting. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to see how uh, sort of libertarians uh, respond to to Republicans versus Democrats and, and Trump in particular. I've, I've always uh, been very confused when I see a, a libertarian who uh, is uh, at all uh, supportive of, of Trump's uh, presidency. I mean, Certainly, you can always always find some aspect of any uh, political figure that might be redeemable or in line with with your ideology. But uh, I mean, so so many things uh, he's done have 
uh, at least from my vantage point, been radically uh, anti-liberty, trying to uh, overturn uh, democratic election results uh, being uh, towards the top of that list, uh, certainly. But I mean, even even things like uh, Second Amendment stuff, I hear he has not been uh, not been great, uh, and that's like one of the pretty pretty like uh, classic totally libertarian sucked. issues. <laughs> Thank Trump, you for the summary, Tim. Trump is Trump yeah, is we, we more were expecting a... Obama. It's it's shocking to think about. Oh. I can't believe Louis just said that, but that is indeed correct. Um, Trump has been terrible on the Second Amendment. Um, I, I'm not a fan of bump stocks. I, I don't see the point of it, but that is a, a tool, if you will, that's protected under the Second Amendment. And um, the orange Mussolini by executive order, it was not even through an act of Congress. Orange Mussolini um, made bump stocks illegal. So. Even though, and I take personal offense, Jerry, to your point that you'd understand a, a how a libertarian could support Trump's reelection, I was wholeheartedly hoping that Trump would be reelected, even though he was never going to get my vote. Um, but either way, he's he's been terrible on the the Second Amendment. And yes, I, I'm not a fan of the Obama presidency either, but he was better <laughs> better on the Second Amendment than Trump has been. Any uh, other comments before we we move on here? I think it's interesting. Um, to, it will be interesting to see what will happen to the Republican Party. Um, I guess I haven't point blank said where I stand politically, because quite frankly, I specifically don't identify with a particular political party, because I don't think that what we have is adequate. You know, there's certain aspects of the Libertarian Party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, that I lean towards. So if, if I had to say, I would say I'm left-leaning. I was a proud Biden voter uh, this, this time around, but I wouldn't call myself a Democrat. And what I think is interesting is that, is that we, we have a very clear Trumpism and we have this Republican Party that is imploding because they are trying with white knuckles to hold on to the power that is associated with Donald Trump. And the fact of the matter is that it will implode, I think, this is my anticipation, the entire Republican Party as it is. And so, you know, what is going to rise from the ashes um, is really my question. You know, we've got the Supreme Court, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to call it a ruling, dismissal of, of uh, you know, Trump saying, well, like, yeah, the Supreme Court should, we should, we should, you know, Texas suing, suing, what was it, Pennsylvania or whatever it was, was ridiculous. And the Supreme Court saying, that's, not, we're not partisan, this isn't what we do. And, and I was really proud. I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm really proud of the Supreme Court for staying neutral. But what Trump has done post-election, if anybody has studied psychology and understands what a narcissistic, specifically a malignant narcissist, how they're going to behave, none of this is surprising. He, he, he doesn't have it in him to say, I lost, to, to actually concede. It isn't in his system. And I believe he, 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 I don't think he thinks he won, but he will, he will absolutely hold on to that till forever. Because if you can convict, convince your victims, um, which is what narcissists end up, end up doing is creating victims that, that they're crazy and that you're right, you've won. And so that's, that's like, none of his behavior is, is surprising. 
And it's just a matter of, for the love of God, can we just get this man out of office and, you know, try to redeem, uh, something, some semblance of, of government. But, um, I'm grateful that he's that he's pressed on the uh, the democratic system. I think that's that's healthy. Let's see. Do we have cracks that are gonna gonna let water in the boat? Um, mm. And you know, there certainly have been cracks. You know, ultimately, <laughs> this is my my very optimistic hope. Uh, democracy will win, and and will please never 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 ever again elect a president that is clearly diagnosably a malignant narcissist folks <laughs> can we just not do that ever again <laughs> yeah that would that would be ideal at least uh at least from from my vantage point here did you have some final final words tim before we move on to our last clip here i just have a question um for Alyssa. i don't think i've heard anyone state that they're they are a proud biden voter um, I'm just curious, what's so great about Biden? What's great? <laughs> this is how I've explained Biden, and I think he might actually surprise us. This is, again, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, um, but I, I truly believe he's sort of the, he's the nice guy that you date after you've been, after you've come out of an, uh, an abusive relationship. <laughs> um, I don't believe that he is, that he is going to rock a lot of boats and and I, I believe genuinely that he has a, a good heart. Yes, we can get into a big, long conversation about how he's been in politics for 47 years, et cetera, et cetera. And what has he gotten done? And, you know, but he's also been in Congress. So like, let's talk about how Congress as a system doesn't get anything done. And, and yes, he was in, he was a VP and all of that stuff. Right. So I am not saying in any way, shape or form that he's the perfect guy, but I also have been watching and seeing how he's responded to, to Trump and to, and to all the Trump cronies and everything else. And he has maintained his composure. He has maintained compassion. He has maintained respect. And I think that that, that is something that we desperately need. It started out that I was going to vote for him simply to get Trump out of office because I believe Trump is such a dangerous human being. Uh, but I, but I also, I also, I also have hopes about what his his presidency will look like. Yeah, thank you, Alyssa. I see Charlie uh, has a hand. Yes, I just wanted to quickly say to Tim. Sometimes I don't think it's really that you know what was so great about Biden. It was just look who he was up against, and to me at the end of the day, you know, he's looking like Camelot to me compared to Trump. So it's not so much, you know, oh, what's so great about Biden? Because I'm sure, you know, there are certain things that I can disagree with him on. But when I'm comparing him or his, or he's, you know, running against Trump, it, it was a no-brainer. I don't even understand for those that did still vote for Trump, as Louis was stating, he wasn't, you know, very popular, didn't get the popular vote. But he has his following. And I just want to quickly, and it's, it's so scary because I was reading an article today and it was this rally here in Atlanta. Um, people were trying to get folks out to vote for John Ossoff or something of that nature. And somebody came up to the guy at the rally and asked, what were they doing? He said, well, we're just trying to get people registered to vote or whatever, to come out to vote for John Ossoff and, and, and Raphael Warnock. And this, I'm assuming Trump supporter or whatever, you know, socked him in his face. And those, I hate to, say, to me, those are the type of individuals that are following, as she stated, this narcissistic person. So it's not how great Biden is. 
it's just we had an idiot that he had to run against and to me it just was a no-brainer for it to be Biden praying to be the next president and thankfully so so that's all I had to say thank you Thank you, Miss Charlie. And once again, we have been provided a perfect segue to our next clip here. Our most requested highlight, our infamous showdown, one could say, uh, between Tim and uh, and Tammy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tim, we, we could not. Everyone was was dying to hear this one again. So <laughs> anyway, here here they are. I had to comment. I'm sorry on the gentleman about keeping Trump in office, <laughs> that never, ever will happen in my book. I would take the less of the two evils that didn't have that still stay in office. That man said last night as if to say to shoot and kill. And that is one thing I happen, Biden might not be the best, but he's better than what we have now. I will never, ever, vote and put him back in office. Never. And that's my last word on that. Uh, now, with respect, you don't have to vote for him. Oh, no word, I won't. Just don't implore me to. Oh, you don't have to. And don't implore other black folks either. I have a question oh. for you. I, I, and, and with respect, when Obama was in office, did your quality of life improve? Um, yes, it did. Has your quality of life, meaning income, your wealth, yes. how you're feeling, has your wealth mm -hmm. decreased or increased while Trump has been in office? No, it hasn't. It hasn't decreased? It, 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 since Trump been in now, ain't nothing has, it's been the same. It's, oh. What has, oh. He done, what has he done for oh, black people? So, what has so, Trump done for black people? What have he done for black people? What have, what have you done for blacks or brown people, for, or poor people? I'll tell you what he's done for me. I'll, and, and I'll tell you, what he's done for black people is he's revealed to all black and brown people that politicians aren't to be trusted, whether they're Democrat or Republican. The and, that and, him, and that include himself, too. That include himself, too. You can yes, but the great, thing, the great thing about Trump is that Trump shows you that he's a snake. He, he, whereas but, the Democrats. I don't need no snake up there. I don't need no snake. They, I don't need no snake up there. I don't need no snake. You ma'am, with respect, is there anyone in your family who's been locked up for drugs? No, sir, they haven't. I'm lucky. Okay. I'm the lucky one. You are exceptionally blessed that I you am, haven't really experienced blessed. the snake that is biting. You know, I, I mean, that's your opinion. Applaud. I applaud. It's not my opinion. It's fact. He is the architect is the of the Clinton. He's the architect of the criminal of the clean crime bill, which is responsible for locking up black men, black women. That's Biden. That wasn't Trump. That was Clinton. That wasn't Trump. That was you the talk about stuff. Sir, you talk about back <laughs> in the 90s. Things had to be done. I mean, come on now. Let's be real. Lady, I know this. you're not telling Let's... me that putting us on the plantation had to be done. You are because caging us, you ain't never got caging us, caging us is that's exactly on the plantation, sir. That you is still on the plantation. You that's are one exactly, thing I say about you are one of the example of one of these some you are one of the example of some what what Malcolm X talk about these house Negroes. You are one of them. One of these Negroes no. that don't think they don't get somewhere, no. they think they don't get something, don't get something. 
You are one of them, sir. You I'm sorry to call you out for what it is, baby. I am sorry. Sorry about that. But I would never, but I would take pride any day. I would take pride in any day. And that's one thing you will never take from me. You will never take the my vote. I don't give a darn who you are. You but will both never of y'all are right me. though. Ma'am, you you have you have broken my heart by calling me a I'm house sorry. nigger. Well, that's what you are, doctor. I'm sorry. That's what you are. Well, well, if this house I'm nigger may respond, uh, don't respond, I'd rather serve in the house of a master that tells me I'm a nigger than in the house of a master who tells me I'm somebody when he treats me like a nigger. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right, that was our clip. Wow, what a clip! Uh, so. To, no, really. I mean, even though that was a heated exchange, uh, I I empathize a lot with both uh, both Tim and and Tammy uh, in this. And so, uh, getting to getting to hear that uh, meeting of minds uh, was actually really really helpful to to uh, navigate this this issue. So, I see we have uh, have some comments here. Uh, uh, Miss Charlie, do you want to uh, take the first stab? Oh, actually, I think my hand was just up from the last from time. Before, you know, all okay, I can think sure. of, you know, what a memory. That's all I can say. And, yeah, I, and sure. it's funny because listening to it, I hear Kevin just laughing all in the background. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it was passionate. Let me say that. Definitely. It was a passionate conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Kevin, you 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 were one of the individuals who requested this clip. Just besides the sparks that were flying, was there a particular reason? Well, this really changed the trajectory of our show. We were another little mediocre lay <laughs> podcast, but when she called to my house, I mean, the, the gloves came off, and ever since then, uh, our show has just went a whole different direction. And I, I compliment Tammy for that, and Tim, you know, because honestly, there's so many podcasts, so many political shows where people are just talking and they're fake. It's Hollywood. They're entertaining. This was not fake, guys. <laughs> we were, I mean, me and Jared was both like, oh, my God, how do we stop it? What do we do? But it was really, you know, it really changed our show. And from that day to this, we have not run away from controversy or from, you know, using uh, uh, prolific language. So it, it just was, just, it was just awesome, though. But it was awesome because she was for real. Till was for real. And, and it, I don't know. <laughs> It was so hilarious, though. I mean, that's why I love this show. So. But can I ask Tim, Tim? Yes? How do you feel being called a house nigga? <sighs> then or now? <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you, are you a house nigga? I mean, I was like, what? I wasn't prepared for that. And you guys have to know, I'm usually prepared for everything. Right, Tim? I, I wasn't prepared for that. You know, I don't think anyone was prepared for that. Um, that really, uh, <laughs> listen, it has to be said that Tammy is an excellent individual, love Tammy. Um, but that is what the, 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 the um, question was asked at the beginning of the show. Um, what is this experience to us? And that's, if, that's what this experience is to me. It's, it's that, if, if I had to describe the show, it would be that clip. That's it. We can talk about liberty and how great liberty is and, oh, you know, the Constitution is so awesome and we can get into a circle jerk with Mises and Hayek. But at the end of the day, that's what the show is about. It's about people with differing point of views being able to come to the table and just let it all hang out. And, and that's 
the only way that we're ever going to have meaningful conversation. That's the only way we're ever going to have a meeting of the minds. And as Ms. Charlie stated earlier, she doesn't always agree with me, but we always get there. And that's the thing. I'm not always going to agree with Ms. Charlie. I'm not always going to agree with you. I'm not always going to agree with Dr. Dana, Alyssa. That's not the point. The point is, is that we take this journey together and we end at a place where we understand each other's point of view. And that road's going to be bumpy, <laughs> as mm -hmm. that clip demonstrated. But as long as we get there and we understand exactly where the other person is, it's all good. And that's all I, I ever expected is that uh, um, we would have an opportunity to, to, to take that journey. As you stated, other shows, um, it's a kumbaya thing. Oh, we're just <laughs> going to talk with people who think like us. Oh, we're just going to talk with people who will agree with us. And, and nothing ever gets said. And there's never any conversation that provokes action. And that's what we're about. We're about provoking action. Amen, you don't brother. have to like me and, and I don't have to like you. But as Preach long it. as we are stirred up together in concert, in unison, to, 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 to effect change, hey, I'm all for it. And, and that's what she did. Uh, um, she 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 got us all riled up. She got us all stirred up. And look what it did. It literally changed the projection of our, our show. And, and I'm very thankful to Tammy. Well, let me say that because, you know, Tim, I mean, this is really, guys, we're laughing about this. But when, when people listen at us and we're we have to audition to be on some of these radio stations and they love it. They're like, you guys really talk like that. Now, I want to piggyback, and, and I don't know how much time Jared, the host, is going to give me, but if you want to comment, Alyssa or Dr. Dana, um, but I love Louis said, you know, we talk about real shit on this show. <laughs> and, you know, we really do, um, and people love that because I hear everybody say we need to have conversations. I don't agree. I think we need real conversation. The problem is, Tim, so we've been having these kumbaya conversations. No, we need some real conversations and to talk about the real stuff. And I think that's what Dr. Dana was talking about when he was talking about some of the postmodern, you know, we don't, we want to talk about all this bull crap, you know, and I totally agree with Alyssa. We need conversation, but we need real conversation because if we don't, we're going to be right back. That's the problem. We ain't had no real conversation. We just been going along with that bull crap. Thanks for that, Kevin. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I'm, I'm always, uh, proud of, of the opportunities this, this show can provide, both for us uh, as the participants and for the, the audience uh, listening at, at home to see what some dialogue with some sparks can look like, but still end up uh, being uh, productive and, and provocative in a, in a good way, not in, not in uh, a needlessly sort of offensive kind of way. So I've been watching um, or in listening to um, a different podcast. I don't know if I should name drop it here, but it's a really good podcast. So, but they were talking about in group and out group, right? And and how hard it is to stand up against the in group when there's something that you don't agree with. It, and I and I've seen this happen, whether somebody somebody black is is called an uncle tom or i i have some i have republican friends who have been trump supporters and have openly voted for trump etc and the attacks from their community and i'm putting there in 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 quotes because again it's it's but you're one of us you know how can you as a black person vote for trump and and i think that's really the scary part. And this is why these conversations are uh, are so important 
and why I honor all of you on this show so much, because it's hard to say, gosh, you know, I don't agree with that, that perspective. And, you know, for Tim to say, God, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he gets back in office, which makes my skin crawl. Cause I, that's the last thing I want, but then, you know, to be like, Hmm, now why is that? Right. And so to understand what that's all about. About what's the uh, Stephen Covey quote? Seek first to understand, uh, then to be, and then to be understood. And you know the, these conversations are hard, and for people on on the listening end to hear us really rumble, uh, uh, to to use a Brene Brown term, I think is so cool. I think that's that's great. And you know, so I, I hope to get in fights with all of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, uh, next show maybe. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Any uh, any final thoughts here as we as we come to to wind down? As a leader, you know, I believe in appreciating other people, and mm-hmm. that's what makes this show so beautiful. It's not just Kevin; it's all of us, you know. And we are a team. And and I do thank you guys. I really, you know, I have to thank Damon, and he started it all. And Tim, and then we before there was a Liberty Show, we was fighting y'all for this stuff. And Jared has joined us and just, and Dr. Dane and them brought in all that expertise. But in closing, I do want to tell you what I thought of Dr. Damon. We've got all these beautiful shows and lots of comments, but sometimes we don't talk about the negatives. And just in a few minutes we have left, there were two shows that were three really that we got that were very controversial. When we did the show on reparations, a lot of people didn't agree, even libertarians, that that, you know, should be done. But uh, we actually lost some of our liberal leftist friends when we talked about the Black Guns Matter. And, you know, we actually had some sponsors quit sponsoring us because they could not support a show that promoted guns. But we've got a lot of comments on our LGBT show because me and my, a lot of my holy, holy uh, Christian holiness Pentecostal friends didn't understand how I could allow those type of people and we actually had some comments calling them degenerates and sodomites, which I don't even know what all those words mean. So what do you guys think of that? That some of the shows that, we, that are also controversial um, that, that we don't get compliments. So what do you guys think of those, some of those titles, topics? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's uh, indicative of some of the kind of uh, the hard, the rough state our culture's in that someone uh, can't uh, listen to a, a show with a, a variety of perspectives and uh, uh, have to leave a comment uh, using words like uh, degenerate or, or slurs and and that's that's not good uh, though uh, we 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 need to find a way to 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 reach uh, people like that uh, better so perhaps that can be one of our our 2021 20, goals to to be able to build some bridges that uh, people could uh, come along on and uh, hopefully change some minds for the better, or if not, at least uh, as, as Tim was saying, uh, be able to take a journey together and at least come away uh, uh, with some, some kind of deeper understanding that, uh, that allows us to, to work together, be human together, and, and uh, keep on in life, even across these kinds of really hard divides. Especially, you know, with the LGBT one, um, I don't know if Dr. Damon wanted to comment before we get off, but, you know, it's a, it perplexes me how many uh, Blacks that are pro, um, you know, equality and, you know, they want all of the civil rights, but they don't want to include LGBT rights or, or other people's rights. And that, it, it just, that just blew my mind. And that might be a whole nother show, but I, I don't know. You want to comment, Dr. Dana, real quick, or what do you think? 
Uh, well, I, uh, actually, I'll say something positive, and that is the, the transgender people that uh, advocates uh, have always joined in on uh, these kind of civil rights causes like immigration. Uh, there are a lot of trans people who are immigrants and, you know, and there are a lot of black people who are immigrant or uh, discriminated against who are trans. So I think, you know, when when one group has, uh, has trouble, the, you know, the other groups ought to pull together. But uh, there are barriers between us uh, in terms of understanding. I mean, most people don't understand what being transgender means. So that's the kind of thing we need to work on. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I hope they want to understand it. That's one thing this show is about. Any final comment, guys? I want to thank Jared. He did a great job as a co-host. I, I hope y'all don't fire me now. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. It was a, it was a fun uh, opportunity to, to uh, put on some new shoes here, so to speak. <laughs> and if uh, Just as a... Um, Precursor to next year, guys, you know we're, we're on the radio in New York now, all the way up into Canada, up into Alberta, Canada. We're going to be coming on in Minneapolis, St. Paul next year, but we're really up in our game. We've already, we're talking to senators about being on. We've got some famous activists, more famous people, more noted people, authors, and different things that are going to be on. But if you guys have any topics you want to talk about, I know Alyssa is going to do a show with her, maybe and her husband. It's going to be really interesting. I won't spoil that for you. But I will, we are looking, if you guys want to co-host a show and actually do a show yourself, we would love, I know Dr. Dana is going to be doing one on her postmodernism. I don't know how to say it right. So anyway, if you want to lead a show, just let me know. It's not all about me. And I hope that that's one thing that we bring out. But thank you, Jerry. You did a wonderful job. Thank you, Kevin. All right, everyone. It was great, uh, great having you on. And uh, yeah, good night. Thank you. Happy holidays, everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes, happy holidays. Stay safe. <laughs>